This is Kick-Ass Politics. I'm Ben Mathis. Before I start the show, I want to make two quick announcements. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing a listener survey to get a better idea of who's listening out there. No matter how long you've been a listener or how frequently you listen to the show, I'd like to get to know you better and to get a better idea of what you want. So it'll be an enormous help to me if you'll fill out a short questionnaire at kickasspolitics.com or you can click on the survey link in the show notes to this episode. It'll only take 60 seconds and you can even fill out the survey anonymously if you want. It's just a few quick questions, and it'll help me better tailor content and advertising for you, the listeners. And the other way you can help out in a very big way is by donating to our fundraising campaign at gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics, or click on the donate button on our webpage. I'm ramping up to two shows a week now, and I've set an ambitious goal of funding all of our production costs for the coming year by the end of this month. It's a chance for you to participate in what I'm creating here, and there'll be some cool rewards for donating and chances for you to interact with me and the show. Plus, you'll get a thank you shout out on the podcast. So if you want to have amazingly good karma like Stan Kerr, Brent Smith, Ken Mullen, and Karen Vanek, then help me reach our goal by the end of the month and click on the donate link at kickasspolitics.com or go to gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. That's enough begging for now. Enjoy the show. And my first vote was for Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, a great president. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Are we going to take the Reagan approach? Running on the Reagan program. Ronald Reagan believed in America. Well, think if Reagan had said that during the Cold War. That was from the second Republican presidential debate at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library a couple weeks ago. For three long, grueling hours standing in front of the Air Force One plane that Reagan had used as president, 15 conservatives climbed on top of each other in an almost embarrassing competition to be the candidate who loves Reagan the most, the candidate who's the best keeper of the Reagan legacy, the candidate who'll govern most like Reagan, or who likes jelly beans the most. Governor John Kasich of Ohio humble bragged that when he was a congressman, he was pretty sure that he had traveled with Reagan on that very same Air Force One behind the stage. Rand Paul told a sentimental story about how when he was just a little boy, his father took him to meet Ronald Reagan. And Marco Rubio told a story about how his Cuban immigrant grandfather revered Ronald Reagan. Jeb Bush and Scott Walker tied for the most mentions of Ronald Reagan with five each. Of course, we saw how well that worked out for Walker. The only person on the stage who didn't name drop Ronald Reagan was Donald Trump. But hey, Trump only name drops Trump. Well, one well-known conservative who was in the room that night says candidates need to stop asking what would Ronnie do and be their own man. He also says if Republicans want to win a 21st century election, they need to start looking toward the future instead of dwelling in the 80s. And here's the kicker, folks. The guy who's saying all of this is Ronald Reagan's son, Michael Reagan. He's a best-selling author, and for 26 years, he hosted a nationally syndicated conservative talk radio show. Today, he spends much of his time speaking and writing about conservative issues, and he's also founder and president of the Reagan Legacy Foundation, which, according to their website, seeks to advance the causes President Reagan held dear and memorialize the accomplishments of his presidency. But as he'll tell me in today's podcast, 
there's a big difference between memorializing Ronald Reagan and mimicking Ronald Reagan. Coming up in just a moment. to Washington, it's time for Kick-Ass Politics. And now here's your host, Ben Mathis. Today I'm joined by conservative author, radio host, and speaker Michael Reagan, who also happens to be the son of Ronald Reagan, and he's the president of the Reagan Legacy Foundation. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, it's great to be with you, but I'll also tell everybody I have a mother also. Um, Yeah. I was, it's really interesting. You know, when I was growing up, I was Jane Wyman's son because she was the big heavy hitter out of out of Hollywood, yeah. Academy Award winner, Golden Globe winner, own television series in the fifties and what have you. So I was I was Jane Wyman's kid, and my dad gave that speech for Barry Goldwater in October of nineteen sixty four, and I went from being Jane Wyman's son to being Ronald Reagan's son. <laughs> And so for my whole life, I'm trying to figure out who the heck I am. <laughs> Two weeks ago, the Republican debate was held at your father's presidential library. Before we get into it here, I just want to ask, was it as exhausting for you as it was for me? I mean, it was as long as the Academy Awards. The last hour was just brutal. And the last two questions were just stupid. But you know what it was? CNN was trying to fill time to sell the commercials. And they asked, the dumbest questions on the planet. My, my wife and I and my daughter, Ashley, who was there, my son couldn't be there. But we started looking at each other because, you know, I had a code name. Daughter had a code name. And we're thinking to ourselves, yeah. it's the Secret Service that chooses your code name. You don't get to choose your code name. That's all in their in their program. I said, but it's just a really stupid question to ask. It's, it was just like, why are you doing these things? They should have shut the debate off. You know, let us look at reruns of something for the next 30 minutes. Yeah, I know. I mean, I I felt that some of those questions were straight out of the Miss America pageant. Oh, you know something else? I mean, I I, I sat there during the debate thinking to myself, is Hugh Hewitt really here? Yeah, Yeah, that's funny. Wasn't he even at a separate desk from the rest of the moderators? It was like the children's table. Yeah, Jay. But then you had, you know, Dana and you had Hugh at a separate desk across kind of the stage from them. And I, I said at one point to, to my wife and Ashley, I said, you, are they ever going to ask you to ask a question or Dana ask a question? And they would come to him for one question. It would go back to Jake and, you know, it seemed like four days later they get to ask another question. I mean, if I'm Hugh Hewitt, like, what was the point? Yeah, that was odd. Well, the 15 candidates on the stage stood up there trying to basically out-Reagan each other, comparing themselves to your father, and at least one candidate who probably thought Reagan should have felt honored to be compared to him. (laughs) Um, As you watched all this, did you think it was an honor to have all these candidates fawning over your dad, or was there something a little bit, I don't know, sycophantic about it all? Well, that's been going on for a long time. But I've kind of gotten used to these people trying to equate themselves with, with my father. And... You know, I don't remember my father when he was running for president saying, you know, gosh, me and Abe Lincoln, me and George Washington, me and 
Jefferson. Boy, we just hang together. The only thing my father ever said about those three is when they would talk to my dad about his age, he used to say, oh, yeah, you know, Thomas and George and Abe and I used to play in the sandbox together. Oh, right, right, right. That joke. So that was yeah. that was kind of his answer. But trying to equate themselves, you know, with my father, they've got to remember most people voting today or a large percentage of people voting today have no idea who Ronald Reagan was. They knew he was president of the United States of America, but that's where it ends. There was an article that you were interviewed in uh, the day of the debate that went up on Politico about just this subject. And in it, actually, your brother, Ron Reagan, made an interesting point when he said Ronald Reagan didn't go around comparing himself to Eisenhower, as you just said. And it's and he said it's odd that these people are so eager to pretend to be another person, and it suggests that they aren't fully developed themselves. Is he right about that? Yeah, it's really the only time my brother and I have ever agreed on anything. <laughs> I mean, we don't agree on anything known to mankind, but on that one, because the political article did an interview with me and also with Ron. And I, I think Ron's right, and I think I'm right. I think they do themselves a disservice because— if they try to compare themselves to Ronald Reagan, somebody who's iconic, um, the reality of it is they lose because they're nothing like Ronald Reagan. I think what we're looking for is we're looking for somebody who wants to lead, and you can't lead through another person's eyes. You've got to lead through, through your own thoughts, your own ideas, where you want to take America. Be a cheerleader like Ronald Reagan you know, was for America. But what are you going to do? What, what, when I wake up in the morning, why am I going to feel good about you? And they're not doing that. Well, yeah. And in that same article on Politico, you said, it's interesting to see how many of them recreate my father in their image and likeness instead of his. Mm -hmm. That must drive you crazy. No, yeah, I mean, it really does. It, it happens in, I mean, all over, whether it's, whether it's candidates, you know, running for office or people in radio business or in the political world, I, I just sit back in amazement. I keep on thinking to myself, I, gee, I never saw them at Thanksgiving dinner. I never saw them at the house having a cocktail. I never saw these people, but they seem to know more about my father than I do. And I find out when I Skype at my at Reagan world, what comes back at me sometimes is from people that have no concept who Ronald Reagan was. And, and they think they know more than I would know about him. And it, it's amazing to sit there and, and watch all of this, in fact, go down, and it gets uh, mind-numbing sometimes. Well, yeah, and I guess I guess that's the great tragedy uh, about no longer being on this earth, is as soon as you're gone, people start rewriting your legacy, and you have no control over it. Um, all of the candidates at the debate reference your father, and they try to draw these comparisons, but in reality, they differ very widely from your dad on policy issues. Is it a matter of they're getting him wrong, or is it willful ignorance, revisionism? What's going on here? Well, you've been revisionism happens so much in every every four years when we have election. There's revisionism. I mean, anybody, any conservative out there that actually believes Ronald Reagan would surround the United States and collect 11 million human beings and toss them out of the United States of America is really smoking crack. <laughs> I mean, just smoking crack. Uh, Ronald Reagan would never ever, ever do that. That wasn't the heart of Ronald Reagan. A friend of mine writes parody songs, and I sent him a parody song idea the other day, and the parody song was, was named Where Have All the Gardeners Gone? Long time passing. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, 
that some of the stuff we're getting behind is just absolutely, you know, really outrageous. So I think they get yeah. my dad completely wrong on immigration, completely 100% wrong there. Well, I do think it surprised a lot of people how big a role immigration has played in this primary. But, uh, Michael, give me your post-debate analysis. Were there any candidates on the stage who really impressed you? My daughter is 32. I said, what, you know, what'd she think of the debate? And she thought the same thing I did, that Christie and, and, and Carly and Marco Rubio won the debate and Trump yeah. lost the debate. Yeah. Now, well, let me show you how, how thin-skinned some of our fellow conservatives are out there. I say that on my Twitter account. And you know what I get back? Uh-oh. <laughs> How do you see yes. Chris Christie as your first choice? <laughs> I thought to myself, oh. I, went like, I-, I thought you were right. going to tell me you got an angry tweet from Donald Trump. Because, you know, you know, I- if someone at Quiznos gets his order wrong, he goes on Twitter and, <laughs> and oh, attacks him. And you're sitting going, wait a minute. But, you know, my daughter said, she said, out of everybody in the debate, she says, the one person I know where he stands on every single issue is Chris Christie. Now, she yeah. said, you can agree or disagree with him. But the reality is I know where he stands on every issue. All these other people dance around the, you know, the, the maypole on, on so many of these issues. So I, I like Chris Christie. I like the governors that are out there. I, I think that uh, Kasich is, is, is a good governor. Christie's yeah. a good governor. Jeb's a good governor. There's some good governors out there. I ask me to see how this all, in fact, plays out. But as I've said about Donald Trump, I said, my if I were to write a theme song uh, for Donald Trump in this campaign, it would be from the uh, uh, movie The Music Man, 76 Trombones. And that's who he reminds me of. <laughs> Google 76 Trombones and, and watch it play out. And it's just it's Donald Trump <laughs> marching down the street and everybody's following him in awe. And you're saying, what does this guy bring to the table? He promises a lot. <laughs> Um, speaking of Trump, then, Ann Coulter keeps saying on Twitter that Donald Trump is the new Ronald Reagan. Now, this She's is the, nuts. This is the same Donald Trump who, in the art of the deal, said Reagan is a con man who doesn't deliver. I'm guessing you're not comfortable with that comparison. No, I think Ann Coulter is, <laughs> is. I think Ann Coulter is absolutely nuts to think that. You know, I, I, again, I never saw Ann Coulter at dinner either. Why is Ann Coulter looking for Ronald Reagan and people? Yeah. Well, See, I don't even believe she ever met Ronald Reagan. If she did, she was a child. I mean, remember, this is the woman who loved Chris Christie and then didn't love Chris Christie and loved Mitt Romney, didn't, didn't, didn't love Mitt Romney. I mean, she changes horses like I change underwear. <laughs> well, there are a number of people who are trying to draw comparisons between your father and Donald Trump. Are there some similarities, maybe in their background, coming from show business, life in the public eye, or are these comparisons just completely way off base? No, Ronald Reagan, my father would be just appalled the way Donald Trump is treating other people on the dais, if you will, and uh, the personal attacks. I talked to Donald Trump for 20 minutes the day before the debates. He called me on his way to his airplane. He was flying to Dallas to do that event before he came out here to California, and I talked to him, and I said, Donald, you can't blow the building up on the way through it and expect to put the building back together to help you get elected president of the United States. They said, well, you know, I don't attack anybody unless they attack me first. I said, Donald, they attack you on substantive issues. You're attacking everybody personally. And it's hard to walk back these personal attacks. You just can't do that. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. We talked about a few other little things for about 20 minutes and 
hung up. And of course, what's the first thing he did in the debate? <laughs> he goes after Rand Paul. What's that guy doing here? Yeah, and you're right. He does take substantive issues and make it personal. Just this last week, after Rubio said that to be president, you need to have at least a basic knowledge of foreign policy issues. Trump went crazy and went on, you know, started going off on him and saying he's sweaty and he's a kid and he's balding and all this well, crazy stuff. It was basically stuff. very hot up there. I mean, the, the yeah. lights were very warm. Yeah, at the debate. And he wasn't the only one sweating up there. Maybe Donald doesn't sweat. Yeah. And you don't sweat when you really have nothing to add, really. And he really didn't. I mean, I would have kicked him out of the first debate when he said he wouldn't support the nominee of the party. Yeah, that was a shock. I would have said goodbye. Well, you know, Reagan switched parties at one point. Do you think he ever would have uh, would have considered running as an independent if he didn't get the nomination? No. And he, by the way, my father was asked because oh, I really? was I was literally when he lost and I've never told this story before. Maybe I told it once. I've never the heard. The day that. after he lost the nomination, the following morning, I was walking down. I think to thank the California delegation. Is this which year? Which year was it's this? Seventy six. Okay. okay. Seventy six. To thank the California delegation, and my dad was coming out of a room, had a pair of tan slacks on, and a white uh, sport coat. And I forget what color shirt it is, but that's the best I can do for you. <laughs> and oh, he said good morning. I said good morning, Dad. And I said, where have you been? He said, I've been in the media. I said, what's the meeting? He said, oh, there's some people in there who want to support me to run as an independent. Really? Uh, against uh, against Gerald Ford and, of course, Jimmy Carter for the uh, nominate for the uh, for the presidency. I said, what'd you tell him? He said, I told him, no, I didn't win the nomination. I'm not going to sit there and run against uh, a sitting president. I did that. Tried it. Lost. Over. Wow. That's the first time I've ever told anybody, by the way. Yeah, just to I never up. even. Yeah, that's amazing. I've never yeah, heard I that in my that life. Story that's you incredible. Yeah, I told people, I said, I don't know what I know. Until somebody asks me the right question, hits the right circuit in my head, and I go, "Oh yeah, I gosh, I remember that." You walked out, we ran each other in the hallway, and I never knew that. And that was a big deal that he had nearly defeated an incumbent president for his party's nomination. I have to think that the offer of an independent run could have probably been pretty tempting, considering that Reagan only lost the nomination by four states. He had a huge fundraising base and a lot of supporters who probably would have followed him. Yeah, but he wouldn't have won a general election. He would have, he would have basically handed it to the Democrats. He went out and he worked for Gerald Ford. I worked for Gerald Ford. My sister Maureen worked for Gerald Ford. I think Maureen and I did an event here in, in Beverly Hills. And then we went out and did a couple of events on the road for him. My dad went out and gave a couple of speeches for him. But then who did, who did Gerald Ford blame for losing? He still blamed Ronald Reagan. I mean, Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter had one thing in common. They both blamed Ronald Reagan for losing. <laughs> well, Michael, I'm so glad that you shared that story about Reagan's very brief flirtation with an independent run. I have never heard that story before, and I'm not sure that many people have heard that story. But I guess those were the days when good sportsmanship still counted for something. Uh, Ronald Reagan didn't need the chairman of the Republican National Committee to make him sign a pledge just to do the right thing. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then when I come back, Michael Reagan will share some more stories about his dad, his thoughts on expanding the Republican Party, and what the Gipper might think about politics in the age of social media. Back with more after this message. 
This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 audiobooks available to download for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And right now, Kick-Ass Politics listeners can get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial. Just go to audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or click on the sponsor link on our webpage at kickasspolitics.com and go get your free audiobook. And if you like Kick-Ass Politics and want to help keep us on the air, then please support the show by making a donation to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or go to the show website and click on the donate link. Your support will help keep us producing new and interesting programs in the future. That's gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. And now, back to the show. We're back, and I'm talking with conservative author, speaker, and radio host Michael Reagan. Michael, in the first half, we were talking about how many in the most conservative wing of the Republican Party have become obsessed with their own conservative purity tests and primarying any candidate who doesn't match up 100% with their values. And we also talked about how many conservatives kind of have a selective memory when it comes to your father, Ronald Reagan, on a number of the issues. All of which begs the question, would Ronald Reagan be able to win in today's Republican Party? I mean, all this stuff that goes out about rhinos. He's a rhino. She's a rhino. We're all rhinos. I mean, and and you sit there and go, my God. I said, Ronald Reagan never referred to somebody as a rhino. And, and, And Ronald Reagan, in today's world that we live in, if, if we're just looking at Ronald Reagan as governor of the state of California, and you look at the record as governor of California, which is a great record of what he did, what would some people on talk radio say about someone who had raised taxes as governor, signed an abortion bill as governor, signed no-fault divorce as governor, and was, in fact, prior to being governor, the man was a union leader, and the union was the Screen Actors Guild. I mean, can you imagine what some people in the in the radio business or television business would be saying about that person today? And, and, and that's what's really kind of sad, that, you know, Ronald Reagan looked at the whole of the person, and he really believed in the 80-20 rule. It seems today we believe more in the 100% rule. If you're not with me 100% of the time, I'm with you none of the time. And that's just stupid. Well, yeah, he was actually willing to sit down to the negotiating table with a guy like Tip O'Neill and make things work. But, you know, I, I often think many of these guys in Congress today, it seems the only tool that they have in their tool belt is just to pack up their marbles and go home. And that's not a strategy. Yeah, well, it is. It's, it's like you give me everything I want or I'm, I'm going to close down government. And my op-ed piece that I, I wrote this week and it, it's coming out deals with the, the whole thing of, of Planned Parenthood. I agree with them with Planned Parenthood. You know, it's a terrible organization. What they've done, the videos are terrible. It gives us a lot of things to talk about if we're in, you know, the conservative media, if you will. But is this is this a hill you want to die on? Is this yeah. a hill you want to fall on the old sword on? And you got to go, no. You can't. It, it may be great for your followers, but the, the only people talking about this issue is conservative radio, whether it's internet, Sirius, you know, or in the, you know, 
on the on the big stations syndicated across the country, or it's Fox News. And there's there's 16 million people, hardcore conservatives, that that are in the system. It's about 16 million. Well, there, 300 million people live here. Where's everybody else getting their news? ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, all these other things. And they're not talking about it. And so, yeah. you know, your group may be happy that you're talking about it. Maybe say, yeah, close down the government. But at the end of the day, Barack Obama doesn't get blamed for the closing down of government. The Congress always gets blamed, no matter if Ronald Reagan's the president or Obama's the president, the Congress of the United States always gets the blame. And what you want to do is shut down the government during holiday season? I really think that's kind of stupid. It's like the Republican Party is suffering from ADD right now because we're so easily distracted by these smaller things like Benghazi or, or even immigration. It's like no one sits at home thinking about immigration every day. And then suddenly it becomes a huge well, they, issue. I mean, people think about jobs. They do think about immigration. But what Ronald Reagan did was this. Ronald Reagan had a large canvas, and he showed us a big picture of what he wanted to accomplish. And he never let anything stop him on the way to painting that canvas. Today, what we do is we argue about little tiny stuff, but we don't have a big picture. Yeah. Ronald Reagan said what? I want to bring down the Berlin Wall. I want to lower taxes and end the Cold War. Boom. Three things he wanted to do. He didn't want to do 100. He didn't want to do 1,000. <laughs> He didn't have a 59-point plan, buy, buy my book and read it when most people don't read today. He said, I want to do three things. That's what I want to do. A while back, I did an episode uh, with uh, Dr. Stephen Hayward, who's written a couple of books on your dad. And it, we did an episode on Reagan's A Time for Choosing speech. And in that speech, he didn't mince words. Uh, you know, that, that wasn't mourning in America back then. He was fired up and essentially saying America was going to hell in a handbasket if we didn't change course. What's the difference between the anger and the disillusionment that he was tapping into back then and the anger that Trump is trying to tap into today? You know, back then we had ABC, NBC, CBS. So we had, we had the big three. Yeah, everybody else, there was nobody else yeah. in the building. Talk radio had just really begun on KBC here in Los Angeles. So really, you didn't have the churning of the anger. You know, everybody, everybody's since talk radio got into it and, and now cable into it, internet into it, Sirius into it, everybody's trying to become their own National Enquirer. National Enquirer, yeah. number one selling newspaper in the world. Why? It tells you bad news, doesn't tell you good news. Tells you all the bad news. And I think today, in the world that we live in, it, you know, things that happen are just exacerbated by that medium. And so you have you know, a, a place where conservatives can go and others can go, Liberals can go to MSNBC, conservatives go to Fox News or talk radio or wherever it might be, and they get all their things that they've been thinking all churned up and basically verified. Hey, there's somebody else that thinks like me. And Trump taps into that. I think of Trump, you know, I think of Trump mostly, if there was going to be another party, political party, I would refer to it as the talk radio party. Yeah. And Trump would be their first nominee. And this is interesting because you're saying this as someone who was a talk radio host for, what, 15, 20 years or so? 26 years. 26 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 26 so, years, but you, it is. You, you tap into the – it's about making phones ring. That's what it's about. It's about you know bringing listeners to. 
And it's not that I don't believe much of the same stuff. I do. But I, I look at it from a different, you know, I'm trying to look at it, how do you, how do we get elected? How do we win the presidency? So I'm almost looking at it like the same way I did when I was consulting my father when he was running for president. You know, I'm the guy who fired Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, Charlie Black, and John Sears on the morning of New Hampshire primary in 1980. I'm the guy Ronald Reagan called to approve the press release firing his complete campaign staff on that morning. My sister and I were both kind of, you know, consultants to dad. Not that we are hired that way because we weren't, but my father knew that he could talk to Maureen and I or we could call him on the phone and give him input. My sister's the one uh, responsible for Sandra Day O'Connor uh, being named to the Supreme Court, not by name only, by name, but the fact that it was my sister who actually cut a deal with her father to come off the campaign trail for the Equal Rights Amendment back in 1980. Uh, the staff had asked her to come off that because Equal Rights Amendment and Republican women like oil and water. And uh, yeah. they asked what it would take to get Maureen to stop campaigning for the Equal Rights Amendment. And she said, very simply, if you can get your candidate to guarantee me his first appointment to the Supreme Court will be a woman, I'll stop campaigning for the Equal Rights Amendment today. And as soon as she got that out of her mouth, their candidate, her father, sitting in the room, said deal. And her and my sister and my father shook hands. That deal was made. My sister never campaigned for the Equal Rights Amendment during the whole campaign of 1980. My dad's elected. First appointment Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor. Yeah, he grew the party, and he was a big tent Republican who put effort into reaching out to women and minorities and young voters. Are conservatives no longer in the business of actually trying to win elections? Are, are we becoming a very, very small tent? No, conservatives need a leader or an enemy. Liberals are led by ideology. Conservatives need a leader or an enemy. They need someone they can coalesce behind. So if you have a leader, like a Ronald Reagan, for example, that you can coalesce behind, that's great. If you don't, you need an enemy. And right now, the enemy is immigration. Uh, a year or so ago, I was speaking at an event uh, in West Palm Beach, Florida. I said to myself, when my father was president, this party was much more inclusive than it is today. It's become very exclusive. I then invited all the blacks and Hispanics in the room. Would you please now rise? And everybody looked at each other. And I said, you know, it's the only blacks and Hispanics in this room are standing, serving you breakfast. Oh, wow. Have you ever thought about having them at the breakfast table? And I went wow. back. I spoke last year. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. There's at least two things, maybe three, that the Republican Party have trouble accepting. One is blacks, two are Hispanics, and three are smartphones. Yeah. I mean, go to a Republican event and, and <laughs> it's just they look at a smartphone like like Dracula looks like a, at a cross that's about ready to be planted on his forehead. It's, it's really kind of interesting to sit back and watch. I mean, you go to Republican events, they are, you have to explain to them a, hatch, a hashtag. I ask people, do you, do you tweet? No, I'd never tweet. I said, well, you know, Barack Obama had 40 million Twitter and Facebook followers in the last election. Mitt Romney had 1.4 million. The thing Ronald Reagan did is the fact he had people around him who were genius at communicating too. Yeah. Um, let me take you back to the library. I had somebody ask me the day before the uh, debate, said, do you, what do you think your father would think of having Air Force One there in the background with people who may fly on it someday? Wouldn't he be offended by that? 
I said, no, he'd look at it and say, what great staging, because that's exactly what you guys meant. Yeah. The visual was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Michael yeah. Deaver would stage events. And Ronald Reagan would come in and close the deal. I, I will tell you, the only person, this is another reason he's on top. The only person who knows how to stage an event is who? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't Donald even Trump. need to say Why? it. His TV experience. Yeah. He's been in the media. And so he stages an event, and then he comes in and closes the deal. None of these other guys know how to stage an event. I mean, there, there, there's a video out now. I'm so, I mean, I love John Casey. I've known John Casey for a long time. And he's trying to, you know, raise money here in this last third, you know, quarter of the of the, of, of the year. But to have a video on of him just looking like an idiot dancing is just so stupid. Yeah. Michael Beaver would never put Ronald Reagan in that position. You don't show your candidate looking like an idiot. Yeah, Reagan was always very careful to always look presidential and never to expose himself too much and become, you know, because now in this Twitter age, in this age of social media and reality TV, I feel like so many of these candidates um, feel this pressure for the voters to have to know them on some intimate level. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, how you walk into a room, do you own the room? And when you leave, do you own the room? And the only person in these, this campaign at this point that really owns the room when they walk in is Donald Trump. I would say probably the other person who owns the room, at least owns half the room when he walks in, is probably like a Marco Rubio. Yeah. It's about owning the room. Yeah. And if you don't own the room, you're not going to go anywhere. Uh, are there any of these guys that you see a little bit of your dad in? I don't look at it that way. I, I I do not look at people and say, are they close to Reagan? Otherwise, they have them take me home. Adopt me. I'm available. <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't. I mean, you, you have Rick Perry was probably, Rick Perry is probably as close as anybody. He's a cowboy. You know, buys his, buys his cowboy boots the same place my dad had cowboy boots, wears the same size Stetson hat as my dad wore. I mean, that's as close as huh. Rick Perry is going to get. But that doesn't make you... You know, Rick Perry can't communicate. He gets up on stage, turn the red light on, and he just doesn't communicate. I'm willing to help every one of these candidates. They want to talk to me. And the only way he used to talk to me a little bit was like, well, quite a bit was like a Rick Perry and, and what have you. Uh, but what happens to me, I get caught up in the fact of you're Ronald Reagan's son. What else do you do? I mean, I... <laughs> well... I'd like, what else do you, you're Ronald Reagan's kid, what else do you do? My joke is, I said, you know, I say, I'm the guy that walks into a bank, robs the bank, shoot and kills six tellers. I walk out of the bank, and the police officer there is there to arrest me, and he sees me, he says, oh, my God, your father was the greatest president this country ever had. <laughs> my wife is not going to believe who I'm arresting today. Can I get a selfie? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be going, no, I just killed six people in the bank. Yeah, that's a great I know. Uh, a get out of jail I, free card. I, I, can I, I gotta I gotta send this picture to my wife and to my father. My father voted for your dad four times. He's not gonna believe I'm arresting you. Well, yeah, I have to ask you, and I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world for even bringing this up now after we've been talking, and I've probably said this a dozen times. Do you ever get tired of people asking you what would your father think about this? Dot, oh, dot, I know. Dot. <laughs> you know what you do. You just finally just accept it. I I I guess I can tell you. I mean, I emailed Jeb the other day because I. I've known Jeb longer than anybody in the building. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, and, the Reagan-Bush connection. And I emailed Jeb, and I said, Jeb, listen, I said, 
you and I have a lot in common, but one of the things we do have in common is the fact that we both are sons of former presidents of the United States. We're from a very small minority. When you think my dad was number 40, your dad was number 41, your brother number 43. So think about yeah. it. We started, you start the presidencies back in the 1700s. So from 1700s to 2016, <laughs> there's only been 44 first families. I mean, it's a small group of people. You guys need to have a barbecue every summer or something. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I have to try and do that. And the and I said, you know, what you seem to be doing is trying to run away from who your who your family is. Yeah. I said, you know something? I, I tried to run away for a long time. And you it just it's not gonna happen. You gotta learn to embrace it. Embrace the heroics and the hero that your father is. The biggest applause you got the, at the debate at my dad's library is when you said my my brother kept this place safe for seven years. Yeah, they I went said crazy you need to embrace that. who they are. And I said I think if you embrace them in that way, you'll be more comfortable in choosing your words when you're out on the campaign trip. I think you're trying so much to differentiate yourself from them. You bought into the liberal gobbledygook that they're bad people. They're wonderful people. Well, I think the takeaway that you're giving us here for candidates is to be your own man and stop trying to fill someone else's shoes. Because if you try to do that, you're only going to disappoint. I mean, it is. As I said, I could rob a bank. I'm still Ronald Reagan's son. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, that's just, yeah. that's the way it is. And uh, you can either run away with it, run away from it, uh, or you can say, you know something? Yeah, I'm Ronald Reagan's son. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty lucky that, uh, you know, they adopted me into the family after I was three days old, and and here I am. And like I tell people when I go speak, hey, if the Reagans don't adopt, they don't have a conservative child. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that must be a, an interesting Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> well, it used to be. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Um, well, Ronald Reagan was a man who had a vision and always said our best days were ahead. Rather than copying Ronald Reagan, are there some things that Republicans would do well to study about articulating a forward-looking strategy? You really have to be a visionary. How do you see America? How do you see? We have a president who wakes up every morning and blames America for something. I mean, he negotiates from a position of America's wrong. What can we do to right the ship? Ronald Reagan woke up every morning where America is right. And God put her here for a purpose and negotiated from that position. And, and so, you know, I want to know from, the, from these candidates, when you wake up in the morning, how do you see America? Forget how you see yourself. I don't care how you see yourself. But how do you see America first? Yeah. How do you see America? And now as president, how are you going to get us there? How are you going to do it? When you ask Ronald Reagan the question, he would tell you. Really? He would actually give you a plan? I mean, he wouldn't just uh, pull a Donald and say, when I'm president, it's going to be amazing and we'll be winning all the time. Just take my word for it and yeah, don't okay, ask any yeah, questions. Yeah, okay, we're going to win so much, we're going to get bored with winning. Uh, <laughs> yeah. be, no, but how do, you, how do you see America in the world? And how, how are you going to take America really in the 21st century and make her if you really want to take something with my dad, that shining city on a hill, how are you going to get there? What are you going to do? How are you going to cheerlead for America and really get it done? Yeah. And and we don't have people really doing that. 
We have them falling back, well, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. Okay. But, you know, with Ronald Reagan, he never talked about, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. He looked at America, saw greatness, and said, you know, how do I make us greater? How do I make the people of this country who, who have been living in malaise and don't have jobs, how, how do I make them feel better about themselves and better about this country that they, they live in? How do I do that? And that's, that's, that's what he did. And I think that's what we're all kind of looking for, that person. And it can't be Ronald Reagan because he's already done that. Now it's somebody else's turn. Yeah. Well, could you ever imagine Ronald Reagan using the slogan, Make America Great Again? <laughs> yeah. All right. Put it on that. Yeah. Right. Make America. But he, but he did. He made he made America great again. He actually did it. Yeah. Uh, and told us how he's going to do it. But he did. He did it. He, he did it by doing using a word that is not in the vocabulary. Of Donald Trump. He used the word we. Michael Reagan, thank you for coming on the show to talk about your dad and the future of the party. Do you have a website where listeners can follow you? Well, you can follow what I do with my Reagan Legacy Foundation. We're doing things all over the world in the name of my father in Berlin and Normandy and, and what have you. We're very involved with the, scholar, with the scholarship program with the men and women who serve on the USS Ronald Reagan. It should be home ported uh, as first part of October in Japan for okay. probably the next uh, five to ten years to kind of look at North Korea and, and China at that point. They wanted the Reagan to be the, the forward of the spear, if you will. Uh, so ReaganLegacyFoundation.org, and my Twitter account is uh, at ReaganWorld, and you can find uh, my columns. I write columns every week, and they're at Political, like you saw the one there, and uh, but also you can find them at uh, Newsmax.com. Definitely do that and check that out, folks. And if you've never been to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California, you've got to go. It is by far the best of all the presidential libraries. It's a stunning setting, and it's just so worth a visit. Well, Michael, thank you for coming on to talk to me about your father's legacy, and hopefully maybe this time around we'll get a Republican candidate who is worthy of that legacy. Build his own legacy, yeah. not one like Obama. Well, well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Michael. <laughs> you take care. Hey, thank you so much. Well, folks, the reason I wanted to have Michael on the show today is because he's probably the only person who can actually say, let's stop looking for the next Ronald Reagan without being branded a heretic. Now, I'm not out on a mission to knock Ronald Reagan. Far from it. I, I think he's a great president, a fantastic president even. But to practically deify the man and turn the Republican Party into a personality cult goes completely against the conservative spirit of individuality. Not only that, but it ignores the long history of conservative accomplishments before and after Reagan, and it implies that without Ronald Reagan, we wouldn't have much to stand on. Let's not forget that the Republican Party is also the party of Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, Eisenhower, Ulysses S. Grant, and one of the most underappreciated presidents in history, Calvin Coolidge. And like Reagan, they were true American originals. They weren't trying to fill another man's shoes. They weren't longing to bring back some perceived golden age. They had confidence in themselves as leaders and in their visions of a pathway forward for America. It's time for conservatives to stop pining for the Reagan era and looking for another version of the Gipper as if they were searching for the next incarnation of the Dalai Lama. 
Ronald Reagan was the perfect president for his time. But the Republican Party needs a conservative for our time, right now, in the 21st century. And you know who'd agree with me? Ronald Wilson Reagan. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and thanks again to my guest Michael Reagan for coming on today's show. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. And don't forget to go on our website or click on the survey link in the show notes to take that listener questionnaire for me. I really want to get a feel for who our audience is, and if you just take a minute to fill that out, that'll be a huge help to me. If you like what I'm doing here, then I hope you'll support Kick-Ass Politics by making a donation on the website or go to gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. Because starting last week, we're now ramping up to two podcasts a week, but that also means it's costing twice as much, most of which comes out of my pocket, to be honest, and I'm happy to do the show because I enjoy this, but if you want to pitch in... That's always greatly appreciated and really shows me that you value the effort that I put into this every week. So if you want to help out, you can donate on the website or go to gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, gripes, and suggestions at comments at kickasspolitics.com. But for now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kickass Politics. podcast may not be reproduced without express written permission. Kick-Ass Politics is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.